before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 14. As always, joined by the three amigos. We've got uh, back in Canada, Portugal's finest farmer, the Tom Brady of macro, Rich Diaz, Acorn Macro Research. Uh, he has now left his uh, school prison cell. And of course, Keith Dicker, everyone's favorite boomer. Uh, welcome back, gentlemen. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, hello. That's Acorn Macro Consulting, just for the record. <laughs> yes, Acro, Acorn Macro Consulting. I actually, uh, Rich has been sending me his letters. So they're very, very good. Highly encourage you to subscribe. Free plug. There you go. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll kind of kick things off here. Um, you know, not to to beat a dead horse, but uh, we did get a U.S. CPI print seven percent uh, a couple of days ago. So, you know, not highest since what, 1982, 40 year high. So obviously that's making the headlines, which kind of coincides with the hawkish fed coming out and saying, I think, was it, I think I was reading this morning. It was like one of the big banks. I don't know if it was JP Morgan or something, but they were calling for 25 basis points, uh, a fed hike, essentially every single quarter from now until the end of 2023. Um, so I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get into that, uh, on the show, but, uh, that's kind of where the, that's kind of where sentiment's at right now. We basically got this, you know, inflation running hot. Oops. It turns out maybe it wasn't transitory. Uh, and so now everybody thinks the fed is going to do the right thing, which is to hike rates and squash inflation and try to be Paul Volcker when uh, global debt to GDP is 365%. So, uh, Keith, I don't know, any opening thoughts there? Yeah, you know, so just so people realize, uh, you know, how, I don't know if it was J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley, actually, that, that came out with that one. But, so you sort of work backwards. Say they, say they believe the Fed should get up to 3%, as an example. Uh, you just start counting backwards, because the only time a central bank will make a move greater than, 25 basis points or greater than 0.25% is unless there's an absolute crisis or emergency taking place. So think back to, uh, again, I think it was March of, of 2020, Bank of Canada came out one morning and they did 50 basis points. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was like, and it was in between meetings as well, right? So I sh the reason I share this because- When was you know, this, the for... early 1900s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not quite that far. But the point is, unless there's a crisis or a meeting of some sort, central banks, they can only do their job when they have their assigned meeting. All their scheduled meetings are set way in advance. So they, they don't, they never deviate from it unless there's a crisis. And so for them to start, you know, getting rates from basically, you know, 0% now up to 2% as an example, or two and a quarter, you know, they, they need eight meetings to do that. So that's how you sort of start 
counting how many times how many meetings they need and how long it'll take them to get to that certain point. And, you know, I, you know, we, I think, uh, I know we've talked about it before. I don't know if you guys will agree or not, but I, I don't think they'll get that far with it. They might get, you know, three or four rates put in rate hikes put in before, you know, if things get a, a little bit wobbly out there, but that's what I suspect. And with that CPU, I print the yesterday morning, uh, was it 7% on the headline number? I think it was. Rich is going to unpack it for us too in a minute here, but uh, just, yeah, so seven year over year. I mean, um, so it's just let's just say inflation will stay at seven percent forever. That that's that's where it wants to be. The central banks have to raise rates to at least seven percent. I mean, that's where they just just to make it like sort of an even trade out there, you know, for for the market. And um, so just think you had to raise so seven hundred divided by. Uh, how many years are we looking at there, Rich? Rich is the smart guy. With oh the God, no, I, I'm, I'm terrible at arithmetic. Please please don't put me on the spot there. <laughs> I'm not good with that either, you know? Like you manage money and you can't add sometimes. I cannot do arithmetic. Isn't that seven, arithmetic. Isn't it seven years? It uh, would be- uh, 14. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Seven years, you know, yeah. maybe six because you get a couple extra meetings poked in there. But but that's the main story about, about this. So whenever again, whenever anyone, whenever a central bank will make a move, it's always- 0.25% unless it's an emergency. And if it's an emergency, it could take place at any time. But but that's very rare for that to happen. How about you, Rich? What, what did and you say? And let's be clear, this is not an emergency, at least not yet, by the sounds of it. But uh, no. Rich, Rich. Well, no, just to add to that, it's only in an emergency if financial markets are telling you it's an emergency. And right now, the stock market is not falling. Currencies are not crashing. The bond market, like nothing is forcing the, the central bankers to, to do anything. Now, mind you, we talked about last week, you know, that the bond traders uh, had to wake up from their slumber all of a sudden, and they don't like that. But uh, the, the bond market has slowed down a little bit over the last couple of trading days. So they're probably back asleep again now. So, so that's good for the, you, you don't want bond guys to be awake too much, guys. You don't, you don't want that. You want them to stay steady, caffeinated. That's when people get up rested. That's where, that's where we draw the line. You don't want to tick off a bond guy. It's actually you do because it's kind of funny. They they, they have a very uh, irrational response to things. I've seen it before. It's fun. <laughs> I like poking those guys. Anyway, uh, I guess a few. I got a few stories about that, but another time oh for that. <laughs> oh God. Well, for me, I mean, I, for, if I'm going to just kick off on the inflation thing, I think just a couple of points that I thought. I mean, I'm, there's a great. There's some great people on Twitter who like really break down the inflation, and the more I read them, the more I feel inadequate. Um, and so I'm just gonna. I mean, there was seven percent as we talked about. Um, core was five point five. I think soon we're gonna have the Canadian number out. I imagine. Um, so that'll be really interesting. Um, the thing that I think the two takeaways I had were one, the shelter component, which we've talked about a lot before here, um, just continues to creep higher. Shelter is 38 or 42 or whatever it is, a lion's share of the CPI basket. Um, and one of the main reasons why I don't think it's transitory, because there's no supply, there's no vacancy in the housing market in the United States. And so, um, and this is based off rent, and I'm sure someone in the comments will tell me I got it wrong. But anyways, the point is the shelter component is continuing to tick higher and higher and higher, um, and now contributing a significant amount of the CPI. So even if, so for example, I think over the next six months or, you know, whatever, I think you'll eventually, you're, you're starting to get 
the year on year comparable. So it's very, very hard. There's certain, you know, people talk about base effects on the, on the, on the down, down leg. Um, and then, you know, people say, oh, 7%. Yeah, because prices were down. But now you're starting to get the base effects on the, on the, on the rise up. And so it's going to be very, very hard, obviously, to get higher than 7%. Um, and we can, and I think that the next two months, I think you're in sort of this like another sweet spot. I think you might have inflation tick a little bit higher, but once you get into the April, May, June, the comparables are extremely, extremely um, difficult. And so you're, I think you're going to have, you're going to have a reignition of this debate about whether it's transitory or not, because inflation will naturally start to come off. Um, and so that's sort of, for me, that's like another main takeaway. So shelter, the base effect is the second takeaway. And the third takeaway is the used cars and durable goods. So used cars and trucks were up 37%. It's a similar situation in Canada where you have enormous, enormous increase in used cars. That's, I think, a very acutely a supply chain issue with respect to um, semiconductors. And obviously, China is one of the largest car, car manufacturers in the world. And Germany, you can see Germany's industrial production keeps falling because they don't produce any cars anymore because of the, the semiconductors. Um, and then the durable goods, um, which is the last point, that's also um, like 17% or whatever the number is. Um, I think that's a structural change. We've talked about this here before. Um, I think the Chinese deflation story is over. So going forward, that's something I'm really, really paying attention to the durable <clears throat> goods number um, and whether or not, I, I don't, obviously it's not going to keep rising at 17%, but for me, it's about whether or not, you, you know, for years and years and years, that number was negative. And so for me, I'm not, I don't care whether it's 17 or 10 or whatever. It's just, are we now in a structural positive? Are we all going to be stay above zero for a sustained amount of time? And then the final thing for me, as far as the CPI print, which was just that, you know, the language, the, the market actually, funnily enough, the market didn't react. I don't know, Keith, if you have a different view on this, but I thought the market was actually quite um, boring, given that we're at a 40 year high in inflation. I think the dollar actually sold off. Bond yields didn't really do that much. The equity market was kind of went meh. And I think it's kind of an, in, I think the, the market in many ways is sort of finally has their head wrapped around this phenomena in a way that I don't think was true six months ago. So I don't know if you guys have any. Uh... I mean, one comment with that, uh, currencies had a really big move yesterday. So the dollar yeah. sold off pretty hard on, on this news. <laughs> and, you know, with, with hindsight, you know, the market would always try to figure out, okay, why did it do this? And then they come up with a reason for it yeah, and, exactly. and whatever. And so like, so the headline story would be, you know, inflation wasn't strong enough because it, you know, it really it was in line with expectations. There was, it, it wasn't a crazy number. Uh, you know, for the average person listening and watching, they'll say, wow, man, 7% is a big number. However, the market was expecting that number. So therefore, because there wasn't a surprise to the system or a shock to the uh, number that came out, you know, markets adjusted. But other thing as well, that the dollar has just been ripping higher over the last number of weeks. So, uh, you know, from a, um, so, so in, in the investment world, you're able to determine if people are, uh, hedge funds are net short or long a market. So you use it as a contrarian indicator. So if everybody loves one thing, like picture a boat, you know, if everyone's on one side of the boat, it's almost tipping over. And what do you want to do? You run to the other side and then people will, you know, run back again. So, uh, you know, a lot of this was just profit taking in, in the dollar. So the opportunity is, is here again now, you know, for the dollar to start, uh, you know, getting its, its footing going higher. 
but uh, I, have a, I have a thing that we can talk about as well. And let's see if you want to ca- talk about yeah. the CPI first. Well, yeah, I mean, just, just even from like, um, I don't know, just even from like a, you know, housing perspective, I think we chatted about this like last week, but I put that, you know, video up on Twitter, but like, I don't know, I just see this like, you know, 7% inflation. I mean, Canada, I guess it's slightly lower, even though I'd argue it's, probably not the, the best indicator of, of real life inflation, but I know rich, you were just talking about like, you were talking about like used cars and those are making up a huge component and obviously, um, you know, rents as well, uh, in the homeowners equivalent in, in the CPI basket there. And like, to me, like uh, that plays right into housing because like, okay, how much of this used car component is like, well, we do have like, everybody seems to be shifting further away from the cores into the suburbs and nobody wants to take public transportation. So everybody's out there buying, you know, vehicles and, and whatnot. So that, that plays a component. Um, and, and number two, like basically what I'm, what I'm seeing in the housing market is just like in Vancouver here and, and hearing stories anecdotally across Canada. Uh, it's, it's, it's utter insanity. This to what I'm seeing, like from a, you know, boots on the ground perspective. I mean, I was at, couple open houses on the weekend you've got you got lineups around the corners you got people like 20 minutes just to get in to see a house and these are like very average entry-level suburban houses which in vancouver now you know that's like 1.5 million bucks um and yeah it's just people are just leveraging up banks are handing them this cheap cheap credit and we're seeing, you know, rents, the rental market is just absolutely on fire. And that hasn't, that has not come through at all in any of the Canada's CPI data. So I'm kind of like, man, like, yeah, transitory. Like I, I just, I'm, I'm having a tough time because I just keep seeing more anecdotal signs in the housing market. I've got friends texting me. So, you know, lawyers in Vancouver are going to get huge rages this year. He's already seeing it because he's in those front lines and, it just kind of seems to be permeating through. And, and I think better rich, you've been kind of advocating for rate hikes. Like, I think we need them like this, this housing market's out of control and I'm, I'm kind of worried that something's going to blow. So, so the rate hikes are coming guys. So it's not, it's no longer a question of if I mean, they're, they're coming up. So bank of Canada is up this month. Now, I think they're next week. Uh, right now it's 50, 50, whether they hike in the next meeting. So, you know, they're, it, so the, the, this story is, is starting to play out exactly what the way that we've been expecting it will. And the initial shock will be higher rates and, you know, we'll, we'll see where we move along, you know, from, from this side of it. I do have a question Actually, for you oh, though, Steve. Sorry. I did, I, yeah. Sorry. Rich, another question about, so I've never been involved in a, you know, a housing market, so to speak, you know, in terms of trying to buy or sell it's, it's I've done it once. It was a very muted. However, it was an interesting situation in that the, 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 people that were selling it, they were going through a bit of a nasty divorce. So uh, there were like three parties <laughs> negotiating and Keith the shark. <laughs> well, I know it, it was horrible, right? Because, you know, I'm like, who am I speaking with here? Uh, however, why don't you share with 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 everyone who has not been involved with an open house with like that? And, you know, obviously, COVID is involved, but like, are there 50 people running around a house? Are there two people at a time and the energy must be unbelievable if you, especially if you're the seller i would imagine yeah it's like you you know there's like so i went to like a couple in the suburbs like a, like and when i went to in this weekend was like i went to like the hottest sort of segment of the market which is like entry level house 
in the suburbs, which everybody wants, nobody can afford. So everyone's squeezing these price points. So like basically what's happening is like, because of COVID they usually only allow like two, maybe three groups into a house at one time. And so they have to like, they're trying to like get people like ideally like book appointments, but like all the appointments are filling up for the entire day. So now realtors are basically just saying, you know what, just show up. We'll get you in when we get you in. So now people are basically like lining up around the block with their masks on outside, uh, you know, waiting, waiting to get into the house. And, you know, like all these houses, like the one, the one that I posted there on Twitter with the video, uh, you know, around the corner, you know, the guy had underpriced it, but he ended up with 41 offers, you know, uh, $400,000 over the asking price. Uh, another one I went through, like the house was literally leaning, like the foundation, like I went to the kitchen, I almost fell over because like the foundation a, was. So, sorry, Richard, I'm sorry, uh, Steve, a question. Would, would somebody make an offer on the spot? Again, I don't know. The no, mechanics, so, so. They're, they're, they're holding people off. So what they do is they like a listing will come on on like, say, Monday or Tuesday, and they'll say, hey, listen, we're going to push everybody through this week, you come through the showing, and we'll take offers the following Tuesday at 4pm. So if you got an offer, email it over to us, you know, by Tuesday at four, and we're going to pick basically, you know, the highest, cleanest offer here. Mm -hmm. And so, but I always like, I always make the joke, right? I mean, like, man, like if you got to beat 41 people to get a house, like, do you really want to be the guy that wins the bid? Cause like, what kind of price are you paying if you have to beat 40 other people? Uh, And that's just what we're seeing. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, I think it's totally out of control and it kind of brings me to my next point. And, and I'm sure you guys have some comments on this, you know, rich, maybe from a data perspective. Um, but one of the things I've been talking about with, with regulators and having these conversations, cause I think something is coming. Um, CMHC is now talking about increasing the down payment requirements for investors. Um, they're trying to put the, the brakes on. So it's interesting as you got RBC CEO, coming out and say bank of Canada needs to hike rates. Inflation is out of control. These guys want to pull back on lending in the, in the, in the residential mortgage market, but they can't because they don't want to lose market share. And so you have what you have now is you have all these public CEOs coming out and making public statements and saying, Oh, the bank of Canada needs to, and should be raising interest rates because they want the Bank of Canada to be the break on the housing market, not them individually. That's their job. That's the Bank of Canada's job. They're derelict in their duty. Then they're, and in some ways, those CEOs are right. It's not it's a private corporation's job to be the super, you know, the, to be the regulator of the housing market or it's, 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 in my view, that's exactly right. They should be. And you know what? I actually credit these guys, frankly, for putting pressure on the Bank of Canada for putting, because the reality is, is, you know, the, the politicians in this country pretend like they don't understand why this is happening. Inside we information. Know why. We know um, why. <laughs> there's been a couple of the banks. <laughs> Can't say who, can't say who it was, but there's been a couple of the banks uh, that have actually lobbed the federal government to put in uh, a home equity tax because, again, they want to slow the housing market. And, and that did get kiboshed. They basically came back and said, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that from a political standpoint. Uh, but the banks, the banks have been pushing back. 
even though I'd argue that they are certainly part of the problem and the fact that they're the ones that, you know, write these loans and make all these exceptions to get them approved. Um, but that kind of brings me to my next point, which is when I have these discussions with these policymakers, news reporters, et cetera, one of the things I'm always kind of like, well, like what can we do in the very short near term, let's say in the next 12 to 18 months, if we want to put like a temporary like brake pad on the housing market, do we look at these immigration targets? Do I say like we had 410,000 people approved as new immigrants last year? I mean, the U.S., a country 10 times the size, had 500,000. So my question is always like, why do we, why, why, why is the federal government so hell bent on 400,000 per year and ratcheting that up? Should it not be for the next 12 to 18 to 24 months? Maybe we ratchet that down to 350,000. Um, I, I thought mean, we Rich, were in a pandemic. I thought, I, thought, I thought there was like a global supply chain problem. I thought we were had to get boosters or else we can't go watch, uh, you know, Spider-Man return to home or whatever. I mean, the idea that, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to get myself into trouble here. So I'll pump the brakes a bit. But I think, yes, Steve, I think perhaps lowering the population growth numbers and immigration numbers, maybe for, how about this, two years until we sort of get... Um, built house homes being built again, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, generally, Canada accepting immigrants is a good thing. I think that's unequivocal. However, you need to be able to house them. You need to have appropriate infrastructure. You need to have schools and libraries and et cetera, et cetera, to, to make that a transition that does not cause political or economic friction. And for the government, whichever government, to just purely just to ignore the effects of that, I think is, is just plain stupid in my view. Um, yeah, no, I mean, Keith, do you have any comments on like, because like I think the listeners here, for example, are going to want to under like why, in, in your opinion, is the government so hell bent on like, oh, we got to hit this target? Why do we need to like, what can you explain that to kind of the audience? Like, what's the government's, in your opinion, what is the government's kind of thought process behind that? Is it simply to, to fill jobs? Uh, to get highly skilled uh, immigrant workers in, or, or are we? Is it is the goal to inflate nominal GDP and, and boost tax revenues because you're a government that's, you know, short on tax revenues essentially? I don't think it's the latter. I mean, um, re remember, guys, governments are pretty big entities. One arm doesn't speak with the other. It's really they don't have this, you know, this this centralized you know, group committee that's, you know, pulling the levers for everything in the country. It's, I mean, like the, the sharpest companies in the world can't even work like that. I, I just I mean, I know with Canada, you're always encouraging uh, immigration and, you know, there's lots of positives with it. Absolutely. Because uh, a lot of uh, new people coming to the country, they're highly motivated. They're already educated usually and, and, and skilled and, you know, it just helps to broaden the economy and the culture and all that stuff. Like there's, there's so many benefits attached to it and, it, and it's, it's been really good. Uh, as for them deciding, hey, it's also a great way to raise GDP or, hey, maybe we should think about the housing market. I don't think that hits their desk at all. I, I really don't. I think they would just say, you know what, that's past our pay grade. You know, that's what the Minister of Finance needs to think about and, and the Bank of Canada. So that, that's the way I see you. Again, like, I, I, I really wouldn't give these guys that much credit in terms of 
trying to be devious about trying to boost the economy and affect housing markets and stuff. That, that's yeah, well, what they I do, anyway. Well, they Wait, do talk about... Sorry, Keith. Well, you, you, I, okay. okay, go ahead. Sorry. Well, they they they, they do talk about you know, you hear them in this BS House of Commons, whatever, going back and forth. They do talk about, well, you know, GDP is back to you know above pre-pandemic levels. It's like well, this nominal GDP, right? Like if you again adjust for inflation, whatever. So like, but the the big thing too is like, well, we unpack that further, Rich. Uh, you know, real GDP per capita. You know, which is really a measure on like, are we as an individual one-to-one actually getting better and growing and being more prosperous? No, uh, it's been flat for five years. So again, I don't know, Rich, what were you, what were you going to say? I just, I mean, I just want to say, I agree with um, Keith's point in the sense, but I'm going to put a finer, (laughs) finer edge on is that they're not that smart. I, I concede that. But I think there's also a sense of, I think that there's a, a cowardice because I think the, the idea that they, that the, the current government is not aware of the severe housing crisis that we are having in this country that is now what into its sixth or seventh month at least of like on CBC News, CTV, um, constant stories of, of, of you know, of um, lineups around the block for people who are searching for that, you know, um, the idea that they don't know, ex- they don't know a way, a lever to adjust that to me is, is, is not true. I think they know exactly how to do it. I think that there's a certain cowardice. Um, they need to be seen as, as like a welcoming group. And unfortunately they're unwilling to make the hard choices with respect to how to adjust that. Um and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, the way I, I wrote down a little note, there's population growth, which is at, you know, 35, 40 year high, almost exclusively as a result of immigration. You can, you can adjust that. It takes very little effort to do that. Um, there's supply, which I think is, you know, a little bit more difficult to adjust, but I think eventually as COVID, you know, relaxes itself and the, the summer kicks off and people start to get back to work and, fine. And then there's interest rates, which we know the central bank has compromised its independence and is unwilling to adjust those. So two of the three levers with respect to the housing market are, in my view, absolutely, you're absolutely able to to adjust those um, in a responsible, effective manner with the desired outcome that I think is good for everybody. But there's, in my view, that there's a there's a certain amount of cowardness. There's unwilling to do the difficult, make the difficult decision make the tough choice and for largely for political expediency in my view and i think to to let them off the hook i think is 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 wrong maybe i'm still young and naive i just thought that they would have been smarter and there was some sort of you know grand master plan here uh but uh clearly you guys aren't in in that sort of thought process so i it is fascinating but uh i mean keith i don't know if you have any sort of final thoughts on that but no keith is kind of multitasking uh guys i apologize i'm actually uh i'm doing a trade as as we sort of talk about how i'm i'm not buying or selling a house either yeah <laughs> well, then, let, me, let me just make one let me just well then while keith while keith's talking i'm gonna, I'm gonna step in and just make another point i think what's also sort of really um you know i think one of the one of the things that immigration sort of does do 
is it actually in some screwed up way, it sort of mitigates the negative from a housing crash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it because you think of, you know, one of the one of the reasons, you know, the, the housing bub- the bubble bursting in Spain was so, so bad was because the Spanish people left. Yeah. Right. So once once the housing became so insanely overpriced relative to their income, relative to rent, Spanish people just went in droves to London or they went to France or they went to Germany to work um, and to take advantage. I, and and I, I, you can see the population number in, in Spain actually just literally stopped growing after the, the housing bubble. Yeah, was that so? My question now is that wasn't because I I did some research on that, and I'm certainly not the expert, but my understanding was the the outflows similar to Ireland. The outflows happened once the housing bubble burst because it burst. You know, the economy went into the dumps. People lost jobs. There were no jobs, and so people left in search of jobs and you know more right opportunity elsewhere because there was nothing the economy was decimated uh yeah that's right i think Spain just add, just, yeah. i'm back again now sorry about that <laughs> um, uh but, but one thing that's you know okay this is what's going to happen here governments are never proactive with everything they're always reactive that's that's the way they're built that's the way they're structured when you run for office it's always to fix something that some other guy made a mistake with you're never going to say Hey, you know what? In, in the future, we're going to have a real hard time. Um, I don't know, you know, whatever you want to come up with. So then, no one's going to vote for you for doing that. So what's going to happen now? For the first time in a lot of people's lives in, in Canada, like we're all experiencing this severe housing market, and everyone in elected office, no matter which level, they're hearing about it. Everyone is hearing about it, but they don't know what to do about it yet. So when the next round of elections come up and when people are in position to, you know, I say when politicians in, or policymakers are in position to do something, they will be doing something. And then we'll figure out with, with hindsight, or I can tell you right now, they're going to be very slow in doing it. And it's going to be in response to the past. And of course, the future is going to be looking a lot different. So that, that's, where, that's where we're going to be headed. So we're going to end up seeing... A, some crazy new tax or transaction fee on, on something. And it was created for, during the time when Canada had the big housing bubble. And you know, so that's what we're headed towards. Speaking of the, the future, we've talked about this before, but uh, I noticed that Visa came out uh, yesterday and, uh, and said that they're in spring, they're, they're launching their, their test for their central bank digital currency payment rails uh, this spring. So they've teamed up with a couple uh, central banks to to start working on their central bank digital currency. So we've we've chatted about that on the show before, but that seems like it's coming to life uh, a lot faster than than anybody anticipated. That's going to be huge when it comes. I mean, we'll we'll have another really good chat about it. Uh, you know, down the road here as, as we get closer. But for everyone to know, the Bank of Canada has been one of the early adapters of this. They have a lot of papers on it on the website. You just got to go in and, and find it. Um, and then they have some sort of like loose, moderate type conversations about it and in pressers and stuff. But dig into the website and you'll you'll understand very quickly that when the Western world moves to a central bank digital currency, and it'll happen all at the same time, uh, the Canadians will be right on board. They're, they're, they're going to be there to have a good go at it. Listeners should be very afraid. 
that this is not a good thing in my view. Um, we already have a digital currency. Have you ever seen any of the money that you nominally own? I mean, Keith's worth billions. Have you ever seen any of it? Um, it's already digital. It's already in a computer somewhere on a led on a ledger. And what this, in my view, what this so-called digital currency means is that you have complete control from a government entity and they can, they can wipe out that ledger in a minute. Un and, and I think that that's for me, a very, very, very scary thing. Yeah. I think it's just a lot of people may not quite understand what, what we're talking about. Um, so right now in Canada and a lot of places around the world, we have electronic currencies. So like, I kind of, you know, I have a, uh, I have one of these things on my desk. <laughs> you guys, you guys see it? Yeah. Yes, piggy business. bank. Yeah, it's a, oh up here. Here it is. It's it's Guinness Guinness piggy bank. It says beer money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, here it is. Um and um I'm just thinking about Guinness now. I lost my train of thought. But in Canada and a lot of other places, we you know we don't use physical money anymore. You know, do you have a tenor in your pocket right now? I, I don't know if you do or not, but, you know, most people don't. You know, I just use my phone all the time for everything. And But, but that's electronic currencies and transactions. They're still flowing through our commercial bank systems that we have in place. When we talk about a central bank digital currency, what it means is that in many ways, the commercial banks will be replaced by the central bank. And there's a very big difference with this when, when it happens. So instead of putting money on deposit with you know, your, your favorite big six bank, then you put it on deposit with the Bank of Canada instead. And you know, the average person will say, well, who cares? What's, what's the difference with doing that? By doing that, you eliminate any credit risk with your bank from going under or having a bank run. And of course, this is where Canadians say, well, you know, that will never happen in Canada. You know, Canada has you know, the bastion of great banks and all that stuff. However, these are things that central banks are talking about all around the world, especially in Europe. In Europe, they are frightened to death of the bank run happening. But by going with, like, this is just one of the benefits by doing this. Yeah. And it, it will create some pretty big movements. So it's actually, so you can find papers online, Bank of Canada website, and they specifically, you know, they talk about this. They don't talk about bank runs, of course, but they talk about they talk about, you know, they will be able to offer deposits, but they will not be competing directly with the commercial banks. And of course, and, and you know, then the smart person is going to say, well, wait a second, you are competing with a commercial bank the moment you do this. And, you know, the commercial banks, they've commented on it. No, no, we, we, we know we can all work together and everything. But if you're a Canadian bank, you have zero competition for stuff. And they'll, this is, again, they're rolling their eyes. No, that's not true. We have lots of competition. Uh, you know, they're all moving at the same time, the same market with rates. All of a sudden, you have this enormous player who does not have to raise any capital. They have no shareholders to answer to. They don't really have a boss. And this is where they'll start pulling the levers again to, like, to really try to influence you know, who can do you know, this or that. And, and, and at, at an extreme level, you, know, you might hear some of these stories where you know, they're going to be able to tax you on different purchases so well, yeah uh, that's what i wanted to say that's that's the extreme stuff so what so rich why don't you give us a story about that like how that would well work, i just i just think what i understand is so first of all i think the choice to to make so i'm when it comes to this kind of stuff i'm probably an extra on on one staunchly on one side of this i'll let you guys figure it out 
but to me, you know, you, the power to vote with your dollar, the power to choose what you want to do with the hard-earned money that you make unencumbered by a political process, to me, is the core of democratic principle. And what I can see coming down the pipe, which is to me extremely obvious, is that governments can decide a particular thing is not desirable, let's say spending money on gasoline, and then given that they have 100% control on the particular currency, they can bar you from making a transaction with a particular organization that sells, let's say, petrol or gasoline. Um, that's one way. Um, they can, if, if you know, buying marijuana or alcohol after a certain time is undesirable, you can do that. You can execute that plan because that's what the technology offers you. If you, um, and it also, so, so that's, that's the first thing. The second thing I think is really important is it can off that same technology can offer you the ability to adjust interest rates and deposit rates. Um, sorry, the, the amount that you, so how much money you would have to pay on a particular loan or how much money you receive on a particular deposit based on who you are as a person and your overall situation education, race, religion. I mean, that's maybe an extreme situation. But we've already seen sort of examples similar to this. Um, hiring based on what your ethnicity is. Why wouldn't you receive an interest rate based on your ethnicity or a, you know, a return on your deposit? Um, to me, that's a natural extension of that. So you guys might say I'm crazy and that that's fine. But I think that the, the real issue is ultimately you're again gumming the works of what is a natural flowing um, process. Yeah, I, I mean, this is it, it, like China's already got this, which is like the the Chinese credit score system. They've just oh, released. Yeah. Didn't even talk. They've just released the digital yuan, uh, which apparently there's like an app apparently in the Chinese apps where you got to download. They're trying to like they're rolling it out for the uh, for the Olympics coming up here. Uh, but apparently it's the most downloaded app uh, in China right now. So like the, they've, they've kind of unrolled this program, but they've already got this social credit scoring system. And so the, the idea is that that social credit scoring system will sort of uh, intervene or chat with the digital yuan. Uh, so again, based on how good of a citizen you are, you know, if you obey their lockdowns, for example, uh, you know, you, you'll get incentivized perhaps financially, right? Maybe that's a higher interest rate on your, your holdings there, something along those lines. So I don't know, it's kind of a slippery slope. I mean, it seems like we're kind of going down that, that path. Um, but this is probably another conversation for another day in terms of this whole ecosystem, because at least in my view, that's why I'm like super bullish on the sort of cryptocurrency space in terms of like, because like, for example, these central bank digital currencies, whether that be in Canada, uh, the Eurozone, I know for sure, uh, has already partnered with uh, Ethereum will be the settlement layer. Uh, so this information basically uh, also has to go onto the blockchain. Uh, and so that will basically be used and stored uh, using Ethereum uh, blocks, essentially. Um, and uh, we know we've had the Fed out recently, I think talking about like well, several central banks talking about that they believe private stable coins will be able to coexist with central bank you know, stable coins, essentially. Uh, so again, that could just be a complete 
baloney, but the, this whole system is kind of interwoven. And I think that all ties in. There's going to be many winners, many losers. Um, but the, the financial monetary sort of payment system, as we know it, it, it is changing and it's going to change drastically over the next five years. Can I just add one thing? And I know we're going to switch gears here, but I think what's important to ask yourself is why this is now becoming desirable from the perspective of a central bank. Why, given what's been going on, you have to ask yourself, why do they care about this? Why do they want this? And I think to me, it's the idea that for the first time, basically ever, you have an alternative and the alternative is the private coin. And I think that that should scare central bankers to their core. And I think that they're doing, and that's why you're getting this reaction. I don't think with, and then, so if, if the reaction is not a, we think this will make the world better. So we're doing this. The reaction is we are under threat and we're doing this. And so I think that that's for me, that that's why I'm so kind of anti this. And I'm, I'm super, super skeptical because they've pooched it, right? They, it's clear, right? You don't buy 90% of debt issuance if your financial system is happy. Um, and I think that Bitcoin or other such uh, similar technologies offers consumers, people, citizens, a way of extracting themselves. Um, and that's a threat. It's a threat. Can I just chime in quickly as well that you can see that they're, they're all trying to kind of like figure it out and like, what do we do? Do we, do we, do we ban it? Do we not like, you know, so we had like, you know, China's obviously like banned it, but like there was a story out, I think it was today. It was like, like, like India technically banned, like cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin was banned in India. Now they've brought it back in and said, okay, it's actually okay. And now they're launching a Bitcoin ETF in India. So it's like, you, you can see they're kind of grasping with like, okay, how do we, what do we do? Do we, do we just outright ban it? But if these other countries don't ban it, they might be further ahead. It's 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 kind of a cluster. Um, so see, I don't. <laughs> so over in India, for example, I'm just going to make a wild guess here, and I'm I'm pretty confident I'm right. When they said, "Hey, we're going to ban this," all of a sudden they got a tap on the shoulder from a few guys with a lot of money. And all of a sudden, they come out on Monday morning and say, you know what? We changed our mind. We're not going to allow, the, allow this to happen. And so I, th I think that's what's happening in India. But, you know, just to sort of circle this all up here together, you know, the reason we're talking about central bank digital currencies and, you know, some form of crypto taking place here, social credit scores, you know, all these things that if you haven't heard of these stories before, you're thinking this is insane. This is crazy. These guys are nuts. You know, we know riches because, you know, his, his background traveling around and everything. But the point is just remind everyone, we are at the end of this, you know, what 60 year cycle of interest rates. They've, they've hit the ground floor. They're at zero and negative. Everyone's borrowed way too much money. Things are going to change. It is coming. Don't be afraid of it. Because it's it, it's happening, and you know you get a great opportunity to make some money on it. But the way you do that, though, is to understand why it's happening and where you should, you know, you know, deep to the left and right, and go from there.
We're going right. to, uh, yeah, thanks for this conversation. We're going to end up on CBC's hit list uh, for 2022. I don't know if you guys read that article, but someone sent it to me. <laughs> so CBC, not to, not to dump on CBC, but it's too easy. Well, they, wrote a, they, they wrote a top 10 list of non-desirables they, <laughs> non-desirable things that they never want to see again uh moving into 2022 so it was like a year end for 2021 and uh it was like the top i think the top three things on that list was like i never want to hear or think about or talk about nfts again like what a scam and like granted yes there's a lot of nonsense there but it is a very it is going to be they're going to be around in 10 years and they're going to play a very large part of society uh number one number two i think it was like joe rogan who they're like this guy is an idiot blah 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 meanwhile he's the most streamed personality <clears throat> today ever like on record uh so i don't know it was just yeah anyway so we're probably gonna end up there next year number one never want to hear keith dicker on the loony hour again can i ask you a question steve was uh were lockdowns and covid on the list of things we don't want in 2022 no those are things that we want more of in 2022 okay um yeah so anyways i don't know if we yeah that's my thoughts you're gonna end up on the uh kind of you're in good company you're in good company i think it reminded me of that big short quote truth is like poetry and most people hate poetry um yeah what else are we looking at here though i mean i think that uh i think i've one i've one i can throw i think energy i think the energy space is really really interesting um so the best performing sector this year i mean it's only been like seven or six whatever trading days so but you know i i know big grain of salt here but i think um brent crude oil smashing through 87 um inventories or do, do you have like a price target on that oh i'm i i i always caught that when everyone asks me for a forecast or a price target i always say I, I don't make them and i um i think people get married to them i think you get philosophically attached and anchored to a particular number and and then when you're wrong or you're right you refuse to adjust your view i think what's more interesting for me is that um energy companies have free cash flow yields of 20 30 40 50 percent and um and um, and we we discussed this in our in our end of year podcast uh, last year, but I think uh, the climate change thing has made a lot of these energy companies massively profitable. Um, which kind of reminds me because there was actually an article today uh, here in BC, gas hit an all time record high, yeah. so the CTV news uh, picked it up and made headlines. Uh, Metro Vancouver gas pump prices were one seventy six point nine per liter. Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, it's funny because I had um, <clears throat> there was a there was like a group of people on the internet here. Uh, they were like complaining. There was a big long thread, and I was reading the comments just for like entertainment purposes. Uh, but they were like, "Yeah, inflation's out of control," and and look at gas prices. It's these government needs to come in and regulate these oil and gas companies. They're gouging people. And I was like, "Oh man, this guy needs to listen to the Looney Hour." Um, but uh you know because i think it's like governments again is kind of bring have kind of brought a lot of this on themselves right by discouraging uh investment in the oil and gas space uh you create these structural longer term supply crunches right um 
and so and then obviously you know carbon taxes is 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 certainly contributes to to higher prices at the pump so like you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too um what else i mean lumber prices are back on the climb uh i was chatting with one of my uh one of my friends they're they're big developers in uh calgary and vancouver so they build a lot of condos they've been around for 50 plus years um but he was he was telling me they were looking at like a project more recently in 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 calgary they had tied up the site and they're running their due diligence and they're like okay we've got to let's price this thing out to see like you know do we tie this project up with the right amount and he was like yeah since our last project i think he was saying they completed it in 2019 or early 2020 that uh their construction costs were up between 30 to 40 percent uh, he's like, he's like, I knew I was like, Oh, was it like, just like lumber? Like, like, what do you see? And he's like, it's like everything. And he's like, windows are way up. Pex piping for, for the, for the, for the water pipes, uh, obviously lumber price. He's like, everything is up. And it's one of those ones where he's like, either we're going to try to pass this through to the end consumer or we're going to have to drop the site. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so that's one of the one of the things I'm, I'm looking so I'm writing my note for this, um, my asset allocation strategy note. And one of the things, you know, that we think about a lot is to what degree consumers in Canada, in the US, in Europe can absorb these inflation numbers. So one of the things that we kind of didn't we forgot to mention is the 7.1 or whatever it is, that's the stated number. I think anecdotally, I think we would probably all agree that it's probably significantly higher than seven. Just like when it was two, I think we said the same thing. It was probably way, way higher than two. And we were kind of incredulous at how this number is so low. And I mean, even my mother knows that, you know, food prices are up, you know, 30, 40% or whatever it is. Um, and so for me, one of the big risks that I look at, so even though I'm quite positive on risk assets, you know, I've said that before, I continue to be, and we've discussed why I don't necessarily like bonds. Um, you know, but the thing is, for me, it's one of the big risks is it to how, you know, you can't raise prices indefinitely, and you can't, there is a limit, there is a point where consumers um, and businesses eventually squawk they, they you know they, they 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 turn off that like that willingness to to consume that ability to absorb that price increase and obviously that eventually leads to um the ability for companies to maintain their margins which are at highs right now and then margins obviously lead to um eps growth earnings per share growth and so for me that's one of the the really kind of key things that i'm looking at and so far so good you know you have wages are going up in nominal terms it's my view that people do not look at real wages uh, happy to have an argument with that about somebody <laughs> one online um and the second thing is their house which is you know canadians i think it's owner owner occupier rates in canada and the us are 60 plus 69 so, you know, most, in canada yeah exactly so your most important assets rising so you feel wealthier so that's two. And then you can see credit card spending in the US and Canada and UK and Europe are starting to rise again. And so you got three things that are in that can kind of push this ability to absorb higher prices going in the right direction, let's say. But what if the thing that dominates my thinking, and I'd love to hear your guys view on this is, is number one, do you think that that's sustainable? Number two, am I wrong in the way I've characterized that? Um, and number three, um, do you see any other things on the radar that could crash that out? Because I think for me, that's 
basically all of that dominates all of my thinking at this point. I'll answer that. It's no, no, and yes. <laughs> Wait, I forgot the questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and yes. Um, yeah, I forget to order the questions. As well. So, um, so here's what will. Again, this is from a market perspective. Um, I suspect in let's just say six months from now, all this talk about inflation and rising price, it's it's going to be waning. It, it's it's going to be yeah, so coming off. It, it's it's going to be coming off. Uh, so the main reason for that is that we just had like this enormous global economic shutdown, and then never before seen stimulus thrown on top of it. So both monetary stimulus from central banks. Um, you know, through like money printing, if you want to call it that, as well as with uh, lower interest rates, negative rates, and all the stimulus from, from governments. And, and that's in return, that's resulted in this catapulting economic reaction. So everything has been going sky high to the moon. Every single time we've had this, like even ignoring all the stimulus, whenever you get this rapid recovery from a sort of a rapid slowdown in economic activity, it, it always comes crashing back down again. So we're going to, you know, even though GDP numbers are pretty high right now, remember they're always in the past or with hindsight, same with the inflation data that's coming through. In, in our mind, it, it's highly likely now we're going to be coming to a period with, with more muted growth, economic growth. Uh, one of the key indicators that we look is growth in central bank balance sheets. Uh, Ed Yardini has, has great information on that. So Ed Yardini, if you guys know his name or not, it's all free on his website. Uh, Ed, Ed's been putting out this great information for a long time now. But you can see uh, there's one chart in the shows. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll sh we can share this one um, on, on the podcast with everyone, but but it shows the growth in central bank balance sheets on an aggregate level. Actually, no, it's for the big three: so the Americans, the Japanese, and the Europeans. And um, it's now coming crashing down. If you, you overlay on top of that equity markets, you're seeing wow, okay, yeah, things are going to start coming back down again here. And same with economics. And again, as we talked about the last time, so last episode we had, um, you know, stimulus is coming off as well. So I think this inflation story, you know, this is maybe a low probability event, but six months from now, it's, it's going to be sort of making its way out. And then the response to that, you'll be central banks, they'll start, you know, putting money back into the system again, which sort of, you know, one thing that's great about the loony hour, I don't think it's that loony. We always make sense because everything gets reconciled. Oh my God. So, well, it's true. But when we say, you know, central banks might only get two or three rate hikes in, they get stopped out. And this is what we're talking about here. Because, you know, we, we do get that. Uh... Oh, by the way, I haven't told a story yet. The whole well, I, I was going to say, we've had somebody, we've had a few people commenting like, you guys always seem to agree with each other. We need to bring on an opposing guest. And I just was saying that uh, Keith's, Keith's kind of view on, on market movements here versus riches, uh, I think, is is contradictory or in, in opposition of each other. So we're going to find out. Uh, well, I have another good know. disagree. Here's another good disagreement story with, with Rich and I. So um, on Sunday, Rich texts me. So Rich is here in, in, in Halifax as well right now. And uh, he texts me, he's, hey, Keith, can I come over and watch the football game with you? And I just reply back, I'm like, no. 
Don't disturb Keith when he's watching the 49ers. That's hard. It was it was one of these awkward moments, you know, and I'm just like, no, you can't. It's it just doesn't make it's sense. Sacred. Right now. It was something sacred. It really was. I mean, Keith, so, though, uh, just you know, not to get into it too too much, but if inflation's waning, that's hyper positive for demand. Because, you know, if, if consumer, if, if that's, I mean, to me, that's a very, very positive thing because you have a situation where you're, that means that the world is unlocking. That means supply chains are better. That means a situation where consumers, which are not at all over levered in the US and in Europe, um, have access to relatively cheap credit, strong labor market, strong credit growth. They're wealthier and the world is unlocking. And that means that they're going to be able to spend more and go places and do things. And all the companies basically that were worried about margin compression are going to be able to hold on to their margins and earnings are going to be solid in a world where earnings expectations have cratered. Um, you actually have a situation where you're actually setting yourself up for them to beat expectations. So I don't I'm refereeing. I'm refereeing. I don't understand. You can be negative so. risk assets in that situation. So it's okay. So listen, I, I've been I've been through these things a number of oh. times. Oh, <laughs> um, and all I'll, all I'll suggest is um, for for someone who's who says they they love risky assets right now because inflation is surging. But you just then, said it's going to come down. Yeah, but then you say you also love risky assets because inflation's coming down. You know, by default, you love risky assets all the time. Like there has to be some kind of a market environment. Do you, do you see what I mean, though? Like some you're, things, you're mischaracterizing rec- what I'm saying because what I'm saying is <laughs> I know um, what's happening. You want to come to my house to watch football? I do, I do. <laughs> but I understand. I'm banned. I'm banned because I think. Um, I think my point simply is that I, I think that inflation is naturally going to come off, which I know while you were trading, that's what I was saying. I was saying that there's like a base effect happening. And I think that that's important, A, because I think inflation expectations are very, very high for consumers. But B, because there's like specific tailwinds. And what you need is a situation where consumers continue, the, the market, labor market stays hot, people continue to consume. I mean, the, the fact that the rate of change of growth is coming off is fine but the key thing for me is what are the expectations on earnings and the expectations if you look at the ibiz estimates if you look at um you know forward price earnings ratios for key sectors they're already way 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 down and so you have a situation where you actually have a setup where if the the world does unlock and you do get you know falling um ppis and and you do get a relaxation of lockdowns and zero COVID policy in china ends and you do get a relaxation in freight costs which are to be a very sensible assumptions yes growth year on year will fall because obviously you can't hit you, know, you can't go from zero to 100 and you keep maintain that pace but you don't go necessarily into a recession um, and that's an, I think that's an important driver for earnings and risk assets. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. The wager is a fine <laughs> bottle of wine, fine bottle of wine. Duro. That you get a to nice enjoy. bottle of Duro. Wine. I brought one for you. <laughs> I know I can't, you're like, you won't even come over and, and enjoy it. I don't understand that. <laughs> winner, winner gets to enjoy a fine bottle at Keith's house. Um, not on Sunday. <laughs> you know what? We we need to do a uh, a live loony hour. 
maybe at oh, some geez. point. Yeah. Instead of saying that this episode has been recorded before a live <laughs> studio audience, you know, we have the soundtrack put in. But uh, one thing yeah, just to add, though, sometimes this gets lost in translation. Uh, so our average portfolios, we're at 50% in equities, by the way. So, uh, you know, I don't want, I'm not trying to get the message out there that we have no money in, in the stock market. That's, that's not true at all. And, uh, you know, we're also like, we're never at 100% either. You know, we just think we're living in a world of extremes right now. And uh, like sort of that boat analogy that we, that I talked about earlier, moving from one side to the other. You know, I, I think that's what we're going to continue to Keith, experience. I'm going to say it while, while, while we're on the show. And I don't know if you're able to say it for compliance reasons, but because uh, some people might interpret that and go, eh, that Keith guy, he's only in 50%, you know, equities. Isn't the traditional portfolio 60-40? This guy's underweight equities. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're able to explain your guys's. Uh, yeah, well... We don't really manage in an over or underweight. That's more like for institutional type mandates. Um, if, if you know, for our clients, we're trying to avoid losses all the time. You know, produce positive returns. But the old traditional sixty forty mix between stocks and bonds, we've sort of altered that. So besides just stocks and bonds, we're using probably four other markets as well. And um, so when you push all of those together, like in a quantitative type world, we want to get markets with different correlations with each other. And, uh, you know, that, that helps investors sort of ride out some of these, you know, big bumps that are occurring yeah. out there. I think that might answer the question somewhat. Okay. Let me, uh, yeah. to, just to wrap this show up here, I do want to have a fun wager. Uh, you guys pick, you guys pick the fine bottle of whatever you want to wager and let's let's do uh where's where's the market at year end oh you guys want to measure on what based on the s p or what yes please <laughs> okay <laughs> whoever's closer to the actual number so if the s p is oh up i eight, can't i mean okay no it's a it's a it's a fun if the s p is up let's say eight percent and rich says 14 and Keith says three whoever's closer baby okay uh, let's let's do this here drum roll uh, need some music okay. we need some drum jeopardy roll. music <laughs> yeah that's, that's like, a... so from the current market uh i think the s p will finish at 5180 which is oh. a 10.10.52 percent return <laughs> from the current <laughs> you bastard i don't want to do this bet you that's the average s p 500 and return of the last 50 years that's exactly what i was gonna do <laughs> are you guys kidding okay. me However, I Keith, came I thought you were my number. Keith, I thought I you were bearish. Yeah, so I, I gave a current market. I reduced it by a, I think it was a 15, 20% correction. And then I think I used a 35% rebound from that. And that's what the number came out with. So I anticipate- Do you want to know how I got mine? <laughs> so I anticipate a correction and then we, we have an opportunity. Then we get more stimulus coming back that the market can take off. But that's important though for investors to know that, you know- This bet again, has been we're squandered. Getting, we're getting lots of volatility. It, it's it's going to happen. And, you know, being able to participate in that kind of a market, that's the key thing here. But that the same number you had, Rich? Was it the same? Like yeah. 10 points? Yeah, I just, I just chose the average S&P return for the last 50 years. It's like roughly like 10% or whatever. So I just went, 
I don't, I don't know. And so there you go. That was so Keith. We're, it's funny how you and I, we came to the same conclusion from, you know, the listeners are going to be pissed. Yeah, I know. No. But if you're a high, so Steve, you're the high school teacher. You're looking at all the workings for this number coming out. I showed my work. I'm going to get some extra credit for this one. Rich, just, <laughs> you are gonna Rich get looked over credit. my, Rich looked over my shoulder and saw my answer. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. You guys are basically getting a long story short. To wrap it up you guys are coming to the same conclusion uh maybe just getting there in a slightly different fashion um well great minds think alike there you go this was fun today guys i like this one this was good yeah better than last week when when steve forgot to record yeah we uh we nailed it this time so as always that's uh thanks for tuning in uh all we ask is that you share this episode with at least one of your friends, uh, family members, etc., copy Texas link to the podcast. Uh, we are building a community here, uh, great, good Canadian community. And all we ask that you share us with one person and uh, we'll slowly grow this community. So thank you. God bless. We'll see you next week. <laughs>